to our podcast. We are the Kinotomic, a movie podcast that bridges the cine nostalgia of the golden age of Hollywood with the explosive modernity of contemporary cinema. I am your host, Danny, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Nick. Good afternoon. The premise of our show is very simple. For each week, we have carefully picked two films which we think have things in common. We shall then discuss them to find what the common traits are. One is my suggestion based on my particular area of expertise, Golden Age of Hollywood, and the other is chosen by my co-host, which is from their specialty. So it's pretty much anything post-1970s, um, uh, New Hollywood through to the current blockbuster age that we're living in. The only rule is both picks of the week have to be first time viewing for the other person. For this week, we have chosen the theme of childhood. And we are starting with The Kid. The Kid is a 1921 film directed, written, produced um, and starring Charlie Chaplin. Um, the, the, the opening title reads, A comedy with a smile and perhaps a tear. Um, and here's the synopsis. As she leaves the charity hospital and passes a church wedding, the woman in the story deposits the new ba- her new baby with a pleading note in a limousine and goes off to commit suicide. The limo is stolen by thieves who dump the baby in a garbage can. Charlie the Tramp finds the baby and makes a home for him. Five years later, the lady has become an opera singer but does charity work for slum youngsters in hope of finding her boy. A doctor calls by and discovers the note which, with the truth about the kid and reports it to the authorities who come to take him away from Charlie. Before he arrives at the orphan asylum, Charlie steals him back and takes him to a flop house. The proprietor reads of a reward for the kid and takes him to the lady. Charlie is later awakened by a kind policeman and reunites him with the kid at the lady's mansion. Before, um, right, so before we start with critiquing the film, I want to ask Nick, what did you think of it? So, uh, this week, you know, we're, we're, we're doing, you know, childhood and innocence, I think is a loss of innocence, maybe. Um, linking the two films, uh, The Kid and um, E.T., which we'll be talking about in a bit. Um I, this is my first Chaplin film. I, I spoke about that last week. Um, shocking revelation that I've never seen a Charlie Chaplin film before. Um, but we'll get on to some shameful truths later on. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, this, the I wasn't expecting a sincerity. Um, that's kind of the first thing, is that comparing this maybe unfairly with when we were talking about Buster Keaton because you know Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin kind of all get thrown in at once when you when I'm kind of reading about film history um and from the films I've seen from Buster Keaton and comparing it to this like they couldn't really be more further apart um there is a real sincerity um um to Charlie to the kid um, which I wasn't expecting. I was I was kind of expecting um, another a version of what Buster Keaton does, just with a tramp-like character that's 
always on hard times kind of thing. That's kind of what I was expecting, but it kind of doesn't play out like that in this film. Um, I yeah, I was really quite um quite amazed by this. Uh, if um, I really. I could go into like massive loads of positives but it, it's kind of just be a bit lost because I feel that nothing else I can't say anything else new about the kid that's already been said um that I've read anyway so yeah like I said you know like you know there's this innocence in the film um between you know between the two films and in the kids you know it's you know it's this tragedy of of this boy who's been abandoned for a family that is supposedly going to be wealthy but then is is found by a tramp um you know the tramp keeps the child but then you start thinking all well, would the wealthy family have kept somebody else's abandoned trash you know in 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 quotes quotations um you know like it's yeah it's really good as <laughs> That's really all I've I've got I got to say before we start going into deeper things. Yeah, cool. Thanks. Um, yeah. So I like how you you connected with the with the idea of like you know childhood and and loss of innocence. Um, I and I know a lot has been said about this film. Um, in the past. Um, for those who don't know, the, the I feel I must say that parts of the film narrative, and most likely the visuals are inspired from Chaplin's real childhood. Um, he grew up in Lambeth in South London in a workhouse. Um, that workhouse doesn't exist anymore, but on the same location we can find the Marvels Cinema Museum, which is like 10 minute walk from Kennington Station in London. Um, I liked the film. I think it was the first... It was the first full-length Charlie Chaplin film that I saw as an adult. I grew up with Charlie Chaplin watching The Circus and... Um, the Gold Rush, um, maybe Shoulder Arms, uh, if I remember correctly. But I do, yeah. This is the first. This is nineteen twenty one. The first full, um, full feature film that he he did. It took years to produce. He was very meticulous, as everyone knows. He was a bit of a control freak, um, and this is apparent in the first seconds of the film because it starts with the first three, four credits are him so we make sure just to make sure we don't ever forget who wrote produced directed starred composed the music for the film so yeah it's all all charlie chaplin um and i think in the playhouse buster keaton mocks that when he looks at the program and everyone in the program is buster keaton so i think that was a bit of a jab at charlie chaplin who always assumes credit for everything he's ever done um so yeah, uh, melodrama I thought I thought it was like it was it was quite a realistic melodrama and I think the whole the look of the film is very much um what Charlie Chaplin remembers as a kid in in very like late Victorian times. So I think that's very realistic and I like that I you've you've mentioned the sincerity of it. Um I thought it was quite a poignant jab at the morals of the day, which judge single mothers very harshly, like the woman in the story whose only sin was motherhood. Um, what I found on, on 
third, second, second and third viewing, I thought that um, the man who who was the lover of of this woman, he he has her picture on the mantelpiece, but as soon as he turns it, so ma the mantelpiece is like a place of of worship, not of worship of of yeah maybe worship, um, but he puts her on the mantelpiece. Um, but as soon as he turns around and her picture drops into the fire, he forgets about her. So that sort of contrast between, yeah, she's at the place of, of you know, uh, idolatry almost. But he looks at her picture in the fire and he's like, oh, well, what else can you do? Just move on. Um, and he doesn't actually, he doesn't appear in the film after that. Um... So yeah, in terms of the, um, I don't know if you, I could call it a negative, but like you said, it's always been the thing to pair Charlie Chaplin with Buster Keaton and the, their techniques and their styles cannot be more different. Um, I think what Charlie does very, very well, um, and he's a genius, he's very good at it, he always gets, uh, from the get-go, he gets the audience's um, empathy so our hero is being introduced by a torrent of visual cues to suggest his poor, poor social status. So it's in a bad neighborhood. He has rubbish dumped on top of him as he walks around. Then he has a cigarette case filled with cigarette butts because he can't afford full cigarettes. So he has to sort of scavenge for cigarettes. Um, we basically don't need... Uh, his clothes are, are ragged. We don't need any more indication that he's a very, very poor person. Um, so, yeah. Um. We talk about the um, the eponymous kid. Um. I think he was great. I think he yeah. was great. The energy he had was incredible. Um, ja and ja um, Jackie Coogan. Jackie Coogan. Uh, um, do you want to... Yeah, I mean, I... I literally my knowledge of jackie coogan pre this film i mean i knew he was a child actor um and then apart from that you know like i kind of knew him as you know in, in like various like tv series from like the 50s and stuff um i think the his like most famous role is was Uncle Fester, Uncle Fester in yeah. family, um, which is probably what I know him from, um, away from uh, away from the kid. Um, his yeah, his performance, I mean, sets down a marker as as you know for best child performances ever. Um, although I'd argue that Henry Thomas and Drew Barrymore kind of come very very close to matching that performance. Um, but we'll go into that. <laughs> um, yeah, like his performance is, like I said, really energetic. And the moment when he's being taken away to the orphanage and he's in the truck and he's got his hands out and he's literally pleading and it's heartbreaking. It is, it's isn't really it? Heartbreaking. Um, yeah, it it wouldn't have worked if if the child just you didn't. It didn't look the part. Didn't, yeah. Yeah. It was. It was kind of. I think this kind of moment of just perfect casting. Um. And yeah, like, 
when he goes off yeah, and, and uh, the the to the orphanage and you get that really I think the best part of the film is is the is the chase sequence of over the rooftops um and onto the truck and and then what you know that that whole sequence was, was really really impressive and you you felt the connection between the tramp and the kid yeah when they're reunited um and then when he gets taken away to the to the mother you know this the kid you know kind of he has this apprehension of what's going on but then you know you get the the i don't want to call it saccharine ending but it's a happy ending but it's not i don't know if it's i don't know i maybe i'm just jaded by years of cynicism but like i don't know if the ending is too happy um you know but it's an, it's a happy ending yeah it's yeah happy it's a happy ending. ending um going back to the scene that uh, the chase over the rooftop um sequence um I think that sequence, and also with the kid being crying in, in, in the truck uh, as, as he's taken away, I think that was used in in the biopic, the 1992 biopic with Robert Downey Jr. I remember seeing that sequence in the film, um, and yeah, it was, I think it was, it was playing when Robert Downey Jr. as Chaplin was... Um, being presented with his um, honorary Oscar in, I think it was 1972. Um, and it, it, it's a great sequence. It's, it's probably the best sequence of the film. Um, but yeah, um, it, I think it's a great film, um, just under an hour. Um, and you're right, I think the, the dynamic, the sort of the, the chemistry between Jackie Coogan and Charlie Chaplin is real. I read that they had a chemistry of screen that Charlie was very careful to to make it make him feel at ease and and befriend him in real life and I think they stayed friends until um until the end of um Charlie's life um yeah yeah I mean there's there's away from you know the other sequence in in the film that kind of um stood out for me was um you know the dreamland sequence um which watching it was quite keaton-esque um i can only comp I, I don't want to say that as if like you know oh it's it's him ripping off keaton or with the other way around i just mean that i the the fact that he's daydreaming and daydreaming of a ridiculous scenario that's maybe has something to say about the film about the themes in the film it just from it just comes across exactly what we saw in sherlock jr yeah about sherlock jr yeah so that dreamland sequence it sums up the loss of innocence and that the, the the perfect heaven you know of these people living with the wings and stuff it can be corrupted and you know is bound to lose whatever it is that make it makes it heaven and chaplin it's kind of underlying that by saying that even in heaven, a tramp can't catch a break. Yeah. Because, you know, he's accosted by the police yeah. angel um, and it, as he's awoken and, and taken to the mother. But it's, yeah, there's a, for me that I saw a very, a very um, straight like similarity with what we saw with, with Sherlock Jr. Um, I don't know if you disagree or agree or, 
Um, but that's kind of how I how I saw that. I didn't really think of of, of a, par- a parallel between the Keaton dream sequences and 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 this, but I do. I, for me, I thought it was a bit. It it stood up, and I don't I don't I don't know if I liked it. I thought it was I thought it might have belonged to a different film. Um, it just it yeah just you could understand his plight and his wish of escape uh, to a better world without that dream sequence because you could see how in just everything around him was and I don't know if if the whole sequence added anything to it um just having him fall asleep outside his door it would have probably been enough um but yeah and then it leads on to the very like you said saccharin um ending like super super sweet um over the top slightly over the top um happy ending i don't, I don't want to say i don't want to say saccharin as a negative no like when usually when somebody says oh it's a really saccharin ending they mean oh it's in, it's in a negative way um like i don't know another spielberg film the ending of ai for example um with the the spoiler alert for ai um a 20 year old film but where um god damn it Haley joel osmet's character the little robot meets his mum for the last time and they fall asleep together you know like that's a very like saccharine ending um in a negative way i love it other people hate it but the in the kids you know when i say it's a really second i mean like it's a really sweet ending and like i said like maybe it's because the film that we're comparing it to do has a different ending um it kind of yeah there's a yeah there's it was a weird juxtaposition between the two like they kind of come do the do the same sort of thing um but whereas one has the happy ending where they all join together the the other one as we'll go into it's a it's a heartbreaking moment and um where i cry every single time um but yeah um so yeah i um that's kind of me done like i haven't really got much more to say about the kid um i don't know if you've got anything more any behind the scenes stories you've um, got? just one small note um since we're still we're still talking about the um angel sequence uh if you remember the angel woman who uh, first kisses her boyfriend and then kisses charlie and then sort of kind of flirts with both of them at the same time i thought that was a bit weird but the, the actress playing that though i think that was um Lita gray I, she was she yeah. was married to Char- chaplin she was his second wife who was 15. yeah well he never married he never married um over 18s i think he married 14 15 and 17 year olds as as so as a rule i think the oldest so kind of yeah not he's not quite the leonardo dicaprio of his age almost almost he yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah he would never go with with anyone over the age of of 18 so yeah he's just that's the limit for those that don't know that's a reference to the fact that leonardo dicaprio as he's been getting older he's been dating younger and younger women i think he's in his 50s now and i think the age of his latest girlfriend's like in her mid-20s yeah Um, but you know it's it's dicaprio (laughs) cool so, so um... moving from the kid, which is the first Chaplin film, 
that negocine to uh, ET the extrater extraterrestrial which is uh, was the film that I hadn't seen um, to my shame which is shocking I, I know. just really find this shocking that ET is a film that somebody like our age like you know hasn't seen well it, I have now of, I know you haven't you have now um I don't know. I th maybe it's, like I said, like I said last week, um, we spoke about in our in our about us episode, plugging that episode, um, where we talk about you know Spielberg kind of being really influential to the two of us. And I just like I said, I just find it really amazing. I mean, I have my I have my shocking blind spots, um, which we'll go into like Charlie on, Chaplin. Uh, time. Charlie Chaplin. Um, other people. Um, Arguably, you could say that Chaplin is as important as Spielberg for a film student. Oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. Like I said, like I said last week, this is a safe space. There's no judgment. Um, anyway, so E.T., uh, 1982, Steven Spielberg. Plot um, synopsis I've got if you haven't seen E.T. or would like to be reminded of what E.T. is about. Um, goes... Uh, after a gentle alien becomes stranded on Earth, the being is discovered and befriended by a young boy named Elliot. Bringing the extraterrestrial into a suburban California house, Elliot introduces E.T., as the alien is called, to his brother and his little sister Gertie, and the children decide to keep its existence a secret. Soon, however, E.T. falls ill, resulting in government intervention and a dire situation for both a Elliot and the alien. So that's... You know, like I said, directed by Steven Spielberg, score um, by John Williams. Uh, last week, we, you know, we gave the note that the cinematographer Alan DeVoe died. Um, so he, you know, the cinematographer, which I, I will go into. Um, but yeah, so Danny, what did you think of ET? Oh, I hated it. <laughs> Kidding. Um... What can one say that has not already been said about E.T.? I mean... Throwing that back at me. <laughs> sorry? I said throwing that back at me. Um... I know, right? <laughs> well, you know, what can you... I mean, you can't, you can't really hate it. It's, it's a film about childhood, and it's a film about growing up very quickly. Um, it, was, it was positively cute from start to finish. I did not cry, um, but it was very close to... Um, Spielberg uh, is at his best when he has John Williams by his side. I think, I think the stars are so well connected. It's 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 unreal. Um, I had a few thoughts as I was watching. You feel sympathy for E.T. from the very beginning, as you can see that he's kind of sacrificed himself to let his mate off when they sort of separate at uh, from the ship. So he goes into the woods, and he's I being. I kind of got that his he was lost. He kind of got lost. No, I don't like, think so because they 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 things they started communicating with one another. Well, the way I read it is that ET um gets lost in the because they're they're botanists um like you know that's what their species is. So the way I read it is that ET gets lost in this forest um because he's kind of caught up with the wonder of our world and ends up getting lost away from his family or from, you know, from, from the ship. That's kind of how I read it. Okay. Um, Fine. 
the way I read it, I, I thought that they were communicating with one another when the people, when the humans came and the other person just left without him because he was cornered and he had to make, he had to make a quick getaway. Um, I, yeah, you hate humans who always manage to destroy everything in their search for knowledge, which I thought that was quite spot on. Um, I like that, how always, the humans are always marked as the bad guys, um, as marked by the Darth Vader-y kind of music. And you, you never see their faces, you kind of see just shapes, because it, it could be anyone. Apart from apart from D Wallace, um, who plays Elliot's mum, every adult in the first half of the film isn't shot above the waist up. Yeah. Um, which is a reference to, you know, the Tex Avery cartoons or Charlie Brown, for example, um, where you never see the top half of a of an adult because you're kind of viewing it from a kid's perspective. So that's where that comes from. Um. I noticed the trademark Spielberg shot, which is like, you know, the camera keeps uh, on their faces as they look and wonder at something off camera. Uh, and that is like just, you know, as you can see, you, can, you know exactly that's a Spielberg film. Um, E.T. As, 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 a, as a being is positively cute throughout, um, especially when he starts communicating through um, telepathy with Elliot. Um, I always found funny how, funny how parents, they never know what's going on. Um, and that thing where, I think it was when she was, she comes home and she puts the shopping in the fridge and he's just around and you just don't see him. She's just like, he's right there. Yeah, so the, yeah, the adults don't see what's in front of them. Yeah, exactly. kind of thing. And only the kid, only the, only the child can see them. Yeah. Um, um yeah. There was a couple of tropes, you know, the absentee father that is never there, like, oh, always, like, the, the adults are, are always not to be relied on, um, which yeah, I... Th- that, that, that's, a, that's a common Spielberg thing, the, 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 the father issues. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I hadn't seen the film before, but I knew of the E.T. Ho- phone home, so no matter how you know it, it's become, like, a, a cliché everywhere. Every though, it, seeing it in context, it did give me chills because it's just quite a like a poignant moment. Um, um, I loved how ET communicates through like very few words, but they're all very effective. Um, there's very few surprises throughout, even when you think he's dead, you know he's not dead. I mean, it's it, it's very well done how it keeps you on your toes, even though you know that he's not going to be dead um it's a cute feel-good film john williams is a master at work and so is spielberg the kids um acted their socks off they were incredible all of them um yeah i could see what it why it made you cry um but it was i mean it was sad but not so sad because you can see that et did not belong here he didn't belong here it was just yeah yeah, I I loved it. Um, yeah, I think I think the reason why I have I mean we kind of laugh and joke about the fact that I I do cry at the ending every single time, but I think it's because of my own emotional attachment to the film. Watching it as a kid is you know one of the films I remember watching quite a lot. Um, 
on VHS. I think it was on like a recorded VHS copy that was recorded from ITV or something. Um, so, like, it's really di it is difficult for me to kind of separate myself now from watching from how I viewed it as a, as a, as a kid. Um, so, like we said, you know, John Williams' score um, does so much heavy lifting um and it does it so effectively literally from the opening not even the opening shot we're talking before the film actually starts you get the the sounds coming in and the music coming in and it sets the tone perfectly the, you have the 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 like i said the cinematography of that opening sequence as well combined with the music it kind of there's this wander through the forest um, you know, this is magical, it's mysterious, and that magical element is never lost. Um, and there's always, there's also something really quite eerie as well. I mean, the first meeting between Elliot and E.T. with the sheds, with yeah. light, which we've seen in a million other movies, it could quite easily be a horror movie. You, you've seen that in millions of horror movies, but here, it's not that. It's 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 scary but it puts you on edge because you are feeling it from the child's from elliot's perspective um and it wouldn't work if you didn't have the music and the cinematography in that shot and the lighting how that how that light creates this magical this magic basically yeah it's I, I, it's all magic and the fantasy of it is is purely magical and what i, I agree with you i think it could have been seen from from an adult perspective. It could have been seen as a horror film because you don't really know, and you fear what you don't know. But as a kid, you don't really fear what you don't know. You just go for it and you try to learn as much as possible. So the freedom from fear that you have as a kid is just brilliantly portrayed in this. Even even if like Elliot was under the assumption that it was a goblin, that you he, just were you know, so excited a, a, a to see it. Yeah, a creature that he would have known from, you know, playing Dungeons and Dragons with his brother it's and his like friends. Discovery. Like, yeah, it's like this discovery. And but we as an adult know that a goblin is quite terrifying because we've seen Lord of the Rings. Um so like yeah, like as a child you 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 don't have you still got your innocence, basically, and this is what that film is all about. Um, I mean, I, I'm going to try and go through my notes as quickly as possible because it's hard for me to go through ET without literally saying everything under the sun. But I'll try and keep it as brief as I can. Um, and you can interject wherever you see see fit. So Spielberg, he knows to keep the shots as practical as possible. I mean, it's a lesson he learnt from Jaws about less is more. Um, so when introducing E.T. coming in through the house with the Reese's Pieces, you know, we the audience are discovering the alien in, in glimpses with the set and the actors reacting to him. And the lighting and the camera placement, again, uh, as well as the music uh, that I've said before, it does all the heavy work that it, it kind of adds the mysteriousness, but it kind of centers it. It makes E.T. more real because he's reacting to physical objects. And like I said, you know, less is more. And, you know, Spielberg wouldn't have been able to do that if, if he didn't have, if he hadn't done Jaws and Close Encounters. Um, and a side point, the ending of Close Encounters where the aliens come out of the spaceship kind of 
makes me step back a little bit because he's revealing something that I don't think he should have done. But that's another conversation for another time. Um, with that, with the actors reacting to E.T., one of the behind-the-scenes things that I know is that he shot the film in kind of like a rough chronological order um, to kind of uh, create um, convincing emotional performances for, for Henry Thomas, Drew Barrymore, and oh, McNaughton, uh, Robert McNaughton, I think his name is, um, the kid that plays Michael. Uh, yeah, Robert McNaughton. Um, so... So, for example, like, you know, they, they get these convincing emotional performances and, you know, the, the, what happened was, like, the chronological shoot, it kind of gave the young actors a more emotional experience as they bonded with E.T. over the course of the film. You know, the shot, the shoot was about eight months, so they were growing to get used to be around with E.T. And on top of that, Spielberg made sure that the puppeteers were kept away from the set and kept away from the kids as much as possible to keep the illusion of a real alien um and you see that with how they react especially drew barrymore as gertie there is a line that she says where she says i don't like his feet and it's an ad-lib line it wasn't in, it wasn't supposed to be in the script but it kind of sums up the it kind of brings in this innocence and the connection to the alien and the children um, like I said, you, you feel that emotional attachment as the film progresses and then it obviously culminates in that heartbreaking goodbye where, you know, they are acting their hearts out and well not even act I don't even think they're acting their hearts out. They are literally saying goodbye to something that they've grown attached to over the course of, of, of eight months. Um And like I said, uh, Drew Barrymore as Gertie, I mean, she's the cutest kid ever. <laughs> I was about six years old. Have you seen her grandparents? I haven't, no. Who were grandparents? John Barrymore and Dolores Costello. I'll, sh I'll send you a picture. They're incredible. Um, so, like, one of the things I've said is that my experience watching this now is very much connected to how, I'm viewing, how I viewed it as a kid. Um, so, for example, as a child, nothing is more terrifying than those jangling keys on the waist. Um, I mean, that... that Act, uh, the actor isn't credited by an actual character name he isn't given a character name his name in it's the script keys. and in the film is keys yeah um so and nothing is more haunting and terrifying and horrible than seeing et dying in the river um i i don't know how you felt when you saw that um it made me think a bit of of War of the Worlds, because it was just like, you know, as soon as uh, alien creatures come to us, they will start dying. And I was I was thinking of that sort of thing where like, he, he was not meant to be here and he was not meant to stay, stick around for long because this would happen. So I was kind of not really expecting it, but it did make sense. Uh, and I was kind of hoping he would make his way back home. The whole, yeah, and which is why I didn't cry at the end because I knew that he was. But, but again, this is with the adult eyes. As a kid, you would have probably cried, and you probably wouldn't have understood why he was sick to begin with. Yeah, I think with it's. I don't know if you picked up on the fact that the reason he, he you know, he falls asleep with Elliot, um, but then when Elliot wakes up, he's gone. So E.T. has deliberately left Elliot to stop Elliot from feeling any pain. Yeah, seeing him yeah. fall ill and fall sick. Um, on top of that, like. 
the the the, key, the keys thing um the government agents coming to the house and opening the door and seeing the guy in the literally the, the nasa astronaut is scarier than anything i'd ever seen as a kid um because it's totally unexpected and you know that something bad's going to happen to eat it or something bad is going to happen because you see these faceless people kind of coming into the house which shouldn't be there you're you're the um so yeah um like so on a on a on a, on a slightly more personal note like i can really relate to elliot and michael as being part of a household with an absent father um although you know my dad didn't run off with some woman to mexico he actually went to university um so but you know he wasn't as ra he was only around like once every two weeks for a weekend um when i was roughly michael's age about 11 12 um so it that whole kind of experience just feels really real on top of that the it it is seeing gertie michael and elliot react uh kind of interact with each other it, it is the most relatable sibling relationship i've ever seen on screen um you know i can as somebody who's got a younger brother and sister you know we fought we argued uh, we wound each other up but we stood together to help and we loved each other and still loved by saying that as in past tenses though we don't but we do um, <laughs> uh so yeah like it it feels really relatable to me um so yeah like do you have any favorite quotes in the film anything that stood out I, I'm not sure about quotes, but I really enjoyed the the drunk scene at school. That was my favorite. When yeah. Elliot gets drunk from, well, the telepathy thing with with E.T. at home drinking all the beer, I thought that was very cute. Did you know what the film was he was watching? Um, no. So I had, I I knew this anyway because um I looked it up years ago, but it's actually The Quiet Man, a John Wayne film. Okay, not um, a big John Wayne fan. So where Elliot, uh, where E.T.'s watching The, the Quiet Man, there's, and there's this romantic kiss, and Elliot and this girl reenact the kiss with the kid laying on the ground. Oh, uh, yes, that was very cute. I was actually, I was trying to place the kid, the, the girl, because I recognised her face, and I thought she looked very, very familiar. And um, she does. She's in um, Under Siege with... Um, <laughs> What's his name? Um, Steven Seagal. She's Erica Eleniak, and I think she was a playmate in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> I, I recognise her face as a kid, and I'm like, how do I know that person? Um, yeah, like, a couple of my favourite lines um, is where Michael says to Elliot about, how did you tell him about you're going to school? And Elliot turns around and says, how do you explain school to higher intelligence? Um, <laughs> I never caught that line before, but it cracked me up. And then when um, they rescued Elliot and they meet up with Michael's friends in the park, and he opens the doors and he says, um, this is an alien from outer space. We need to get him back to his spaceship. And then one of the kids says, um, why don't they just beam him up? And Elliot turns around and says, this is reality, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> um that cracks me up every single time. Uh, and the, of course, so... of yeah, course, the um, sort of like the iconic scenes of of flying with the bike over the moon—that is just brilliant, and everyone knows about that 
yeah the the final the final chase scene um you know where they meet up with michael's friends and they're cycling to to the to the spaceship you know when spielberg heard john williams's music for that scene he edited the sequence to fit the music not the other way around which is how it's usually typically done i thought he might have done that because the editing fitted so well with the music that you just you felt it in your fingertips i don't know yeah especially the moment where um they come up to the cars and the guys you know the men have got the shotguns you know or walkie-talkies depending on what version of the film you're watching um so you know they got the shotguns and the camera does that staggered zoom um staggered close up into elliot's face and it's it's done it, it it's it's so impactful it's so impactful and and like i said spielberg is on is on top form here um i one thing i caught in this watch that i hadn't done before um when d wallace is putting gertie to bed she is telling her a birthday story uh, a birthday story a bedtime story uh in bed did you catch the bedtime story no what um, was it's it peter pan it's peter pan of course of course yeah um which you know everybody knows is a story of lost innocence on the cusp of losing childhood wonder of learning of a bigger world and you know 12 or so years oh, 12 years later when did he shoot hook nine years later 91 i think it came out hook yeah 91 um, you know yeah 91 so he did hook in 91 so it's you know it, he kind of does it again almost with hook with interesting results um should we say but yeah the the final scene i mean i just kind of want to end on the fact that you know when they're saying goodbye it is actually heart it's so heartbreaking and like i said like my attachment to the film is very much attached to me watching it as a child and being emotionally invested in the film and the music is very much a big part of that and i only need to hear the music listening to the soundtrack on my ipod and i start getting a lump in my throat hearing that music um so yeah it's a very emotional film for me and i'm so happy that you liked it um, of course i mean what kind of monster would not like et the extraterrestrial well i try to find critic reviews of whether anybody actually didn't like it and I couldn't find anything. I know, because no one would dislike this film. It, it's impossible to dislike it. Um, if you do want to go that, that route, I have there are some like one one and a half star ratings of the film on Letterboxd um, from people that clearly have no heart. Um, <laughs> not that I'm judging anybody. <laughs> um, one of my, like, one of the favourite anecdotes, one of my uh the anecdotes behind the film is that when the film in the oscars uh 1982 oscars or 83 it would have been uh gandhi won best picture richard attenborough um richard attenborough didn't <laughs> he didn't want the award because he felt spielberg created the perfect film oh i think i read that somewhere yeah yeah um another another interesting little thing is that this film came out, I think, the same weekend or the weekend after another film about aliens or an alien visiting a planet. John Carpenter's The Thing. 
um, which bombed in the cinema because nobody wanted to watch an alien that was killing everybody when they could go and watch an alien that was more friendly. Yeah. Um, so I mean, the yeah, thing is look, not a bad film, but it's you can't even compare them. It's they're, they're two different films, but people, yeah, like why would people go and watch a film about an, a shapeshifting alien that you know what the thing is basically, and um, when they can go and see ET and, and feel good. So um, you can blame ET for for uh, disrupting John Carpenter's career, really. Um, so yeah, but but we'll get onto that when we talk about John Carpenter at some point. We didn't agree um, to do that. Yeah, we do. We got a John Carpenter film coming up. Do we? <laughs> we do indeed. Which one? I will tell you off mic because I don't want to give it away to to the audience. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Um. I have you got anything more to add with ET? Um, I mean, I've just no. I've just ranted and and spewed a lot of stuff That's, out about well i think that i think this i think this one's this one was was your baby so uh, you're entitled to it um i was just thinking that the same feeling of of like lump in a throat when you hear music from a film about childhood was uh, is what i feel when i whenever i hear or or see something related to um francois truffaut's um les quatre cinq coups the hand, the 400 blows so yeah, I can definitely understand where you're coming from. So, rant away, my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have nothing else to write about ET except that um, yeah, I loved it. Um, it's a great film. Good. And if you if you haven't, if anybody's listening to this that hasn't seen ET or hasn't watched it since they were a small child, in today's environment, it is the perfect film to watch because it makes you feel. It's a feel-good film. It, it makes you feel good, and it makes you feel connected to something larger. And I think that's probably what everybody needs at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely. Well said. Yes. So, yeah. Next week, we're moving on. So, what have you got next week, Nick? <laughs> Tell us. Well, next week... Um, we are going into a darker route next week. Um, Hollywood, well, I wouldn't say Hollywood, but stardom, beauty, the dark side of beauty. Um, so we've got Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, 1962, directed by Robert Eldridge. And we will be watching this with The Neon Demon, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn from 2016. Um, I shall be looking to... forward to be, to talk about whatever happened to Baby Jane. I'm very much looking forward to talk about Nicholas Winding Refn. Um, well, that that goes well then. Uh, if if have you seen any Refn films? No. We got Drive. Did you watch Drive? Oh yes, yes I have. Yeah, everybody saw Drive. Um, yeah. I'm lo- I'm very much looking forward to watching whatever happened to Baby Jane. It 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 pops up quite a lot on um on like best horror lists. Um and the Neon Demon is it's very divisive as is a lot of reference films. I am so. I'm I'm quite keen to watching it because I know it comes highly recommended. I think Mark Hermod spoke highly of it and um I'm yeah, I I'll, I'll be I'll be keen to seeing seeing it. So yeah, 
Um, Danny, um, where can everybody find you on the internet? Cool. So uh, my website is kinojoan at uh, .co.uk and on Twitter I am at kinojoan. And you? Um, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at nickschandler. Um, I am also on Letterboxd. If you search my name, Nick S. Chandler, you should find me on there. Uh, and my website is superatomovision.com. Um, yeah, we are in the process of trying to put together a Twitter page, like a devoted Twitter page to the um, to the podcast, and possibly an Instagram, maybe. So yeah, uh, keep an eye out for that. We'll obviously post up details on our own on our own site on our own Twitters when Twitter Twitter when we do that. So yeah, the, it's a thank you and a goodbye from me. Thank you. See you next week.